And this is AT with JT. So this week we're talking about behavior and assistive technology. Yes. And I'm really excited about this week. I've been waiting for it um, Me too. for a couple reasons. One is we have an amazing expert that we'll be introducing in just a moment. But the best in the also, field. Also, I, I love talking behavior. I love uh, thinking about how we can support um, teachers and our students around um, assistive technology and behavior in general. We know that this is an area where teachers really struggle. They often leave the field if they leave the field because they're not trained, they don't know what to do. Um, and so it's such, a, such an important topic. Um, and I'm really excited. I've been, I've been waiting for this week for a while. So on that note, um, I'm gonna throw it over to Jamie so she can say hi and introduce our amazing expert who we've also been waiting <laughs> for weeks to be able to talk with and um, bring her expertise to the podcasts. Yes, so I actually am really excited to introduce somebody who has actually served as a mentor to me, and I believe that she was first my instructor when I was just right out of uh, high school, in 19 years old, in a teacher ed program, so uh, <laughs> long time, we've known each other a long time, but she's the associate professor at the University of New South Wales. She's the academic lead education for the Disability Innovation Institute in Australia and the Scientia Education Academy Fellow. So we're really excited today to have Dr. Terry Cumming. Thanks for Yay. being with us. It's so exciting to be here. I'm really happy to be able to have a chat with you guys because like tell behavior and technology are my two favorite things. I know. And I have to, you know, also share that, you know, where I started learning about this was also from Terry. This was also years ago, way back in my first year of my PhD, where, you know, my, my former advisor, Doug Cheney, said, hey, you're going to write a chapter with, you know, with me and this, this person named Terry. And I was like, okay. And I was reading what Terry was writing, and it was, it was a great learning opportunity and a lot of fun. So, so yeah, so this is exciting. This is very exciting. I'm, I'm very humbled right now. I know. <laughs> we are in the, <laughs> we are in the presence of greatness. greatness. Yep. So without further ado, uh, I would like for Terry to share a little bit of her story because I think it's really unique um, how she came to be a special educator. So Terry, if you tell us a little bit about your journey. All right, well, how I came to be a special educator, I'm going to totally date myself, but that's okay because no one can see me right now. Um, <laughs> I am old enough that there was no words or diagnosis for ADHD when I went to school. And um, I went to Catholic school and nothing against Catholic schools, but the nuns didn't take very well to my learning style, which involved a lot of chatting. And um, corporal punishment was not illegal back then. So... Um, I had a lot of swollen knuckles a lot of the time. And, you know, also a little oppositional. The nun would say, put your hands out. And I'd say, why? So you can hit them? That's crazy. Um, <laughs> but I knew there was a better way. And I always wanted to, I've always wanted to be a teacher from the time I was probably four or five. And then once I started going through, I figured there was a better way than beating kids into submission. I would agree. Yeah. So I did my undergrad in special education started teaching high school kids with learning disabilities, very quickly realized that most of the children in my classroom also had an EBD diagnosis. 
And the EBD teacher was having a prep period while all of his students were in my classroom. And I asked him, how come I have all your kids? And he said, you're just so good with them. So I went and got my master's in EBD and started teaching in a self-contained unit and did that for several years. Um, Last few years of my teaching, I was at a residential adolescent mental health lockup. That was very interesting. Um, And then I was a behavior mentor for a while, but then I realized I could make a bigger impact maybe if I was actually educating teachers. So I did my PhD and just really quickly, my dissertation topic was using technology to support students in creating their own social skills role plays. And that was back in the day before we had camera phones. So I actually had to get all kinds of funding to buy video cameras and things like that. And the most interesting thing about that was I knew that the technology would probably motivate them from my experience as a teacher. But the first day I walked into this classroom and it was at a very low SES school, one of the kids looked at me and he was like, what are you going to do with that camera? And I said, well, you're going to use it. And he's like, you're going to let me use that camera. And I said, well, yeah. He goes, how much did that camera cost? That was about $1,100. He's like, you are so not going to let me use that camera. And I said, I so am. And he said, no one lets us use technology. And he points up at the ceiling and they're over their um, projector is in a cage, you know, like we do at school. And um, I said, no, I'm going to let you use it. And he said, what if I break it? I said, I just told you it was mine. And it cost $1,100, so I know you're going to be really careful and not break it. And he goes, oh. He's like, can I touch it? And I said, yeah. And he, like, literally sticks one finger out and he touches it. And then he walks away smiling, and I never had an issue with the equipment. <laughs> you know, they were totally motivated. They couldn't believe someone was letting them play with a video camera. I taught them how to edit the videos. Um, interesting thing about the study, though, in the end, just to make a long story short, is that they the parents and the teachers noticed a difference in behavior, but the kids didn't. But that goes with the EBD characteristic of, you know, self-actualization and lack thereof. Yeah. There was more social validity for them. They really had fun with it. They started out um, doing it without the technology and they didn't want to write the role plays. And then when we brought the technology in, we had like screenings on Friday before they take their quiz. And then one kid looks at, it was like, I don't know, 10 seconds long, his video. And he goes, well, that really sucked. well you wrote it (laughs) he started laughing and then they started getting longer and then they wanted props they were like making movies all of a sudden it was very interesting that's really cool i think something that you brought up that i find interesting was you know just the trust and the relationship building yep use the technology um and that hesitation by perhaps other teachers or admin around it because of that, you know, financial risk, right? So um, what do you think was that thing that worked when it came to that implementation piece of it? So the technology, when it's used with kids with EBD or ADHD to actually, so it's implemented appropriately. So that they don't, you know, when they're stressed, throw it and break it. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Or so they don't do that. <laughs> All right. Well, here's here's an interesting, another interesting story. I work with a school out here, and it's um, probably grades seven through twelve, and it's a school for students with intellectual disabilities and behavior problems. Oh. So they, well, all the students have both of those things going on. Okay. Um, 
it's a schools here that are special schools are relatively small. So there's probably less than 50 kids in the school. But when iPads first came out, they got iPads for every single one of their students. And they called me out there to have a look. And I was just so impressed with all of the things that they were doing. And I said, how's your, you know, how many have been thrown, broken? And they said, none. Wow. We even let them take it home. So I think it's a matter of talking to them about how important the technology is, how much it can do to help them, and then setting very, very clear guidelines about what the expectations for using it are. And, you know, the way you can always, you know, be respectful, be safe, be responsible. So you can always refer back and say, are you being responsible with that piece of equipment right now? Yeah. Or I, I, I did a bit of um, observation while I was in there and it was, do you need me to remove the iPad right now? You look like you're becoming kind of angry. You know, recognizing students and their emotions and being able to support them by intervening. But asking them, you know, it's always putting the ball in their court and having them self-regulate as much as we can. Absolutely. That probably having a really good case. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the things that fascinates me is this, uh, it seems like when I put the iPad in the hands of of pretty much any mobile technology, that's kind of your area of expertise. Um, Well, that's one of the areas of expertise. (laughs) I've noticed that in my years of education, since the iPad and like mobile technology has come out, it seems that there's this just kind of phenomenon that when we put it in their hands, they're immediately motivated and engaged. Are you seeing some of that? And then if so, what do you attribute it to? I really and truly am seeing it. Um, I attribute it to, well, gosh, we're all addicted to it. So I don't know that it matters whether you have a disability or not, but it's that real time, um, reinforcement response to anything you do you touch it and something happens this is why we're seeing you know i have a friend whose daughter isn't even two who can access youtube and put her videos on wow. you know and i see kids and not i am not advocating for that <laughs> yeah. i really think kids that little need to be working on other skills but go to any restaurant where there's children and you know that's that's our new babysitter yeah, it's so true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. I remember standing in Target here a couple of years back when the iPads, soon after they came out. It was Christmas time, so they have all that junk by the register. And yeah. they had a Fisher-Price iPad cover that had a teething ring attached to it. And I thought, oh, what is wrong with this picture? You're focused on getting teeth. You need to leave the mobile technology alone right now. You know? <laughs> and I love mobile tech, and it can do so much. But I think we also have to think about kids and their development and you know, the whole child. Absolutely. While they're a really good resource, they could shouldn't be on there 24-7. Absolutely. One of the other questions I had for you, um, you know, so I've read a, a ton of your work because I use a lot of it for my dissertation um, to kind of set the framework and such. Um, but I, I'm starting to, it used to be all about apps, right? Everybody was into like, what app can mm-hmm. you download? What app can you download? And now I'm starting to see this shift where there's a lot of things that we can use that are native to devices that are universally designed. Um, and so in your estimation, do you think that it's better to use apps for certain things? Is it better to use the native technology or is it a mix of both? And, and give us a little detail on that, please. I think it's a mix of both. And I think you use whatever's available to you that works as a teacher. And, you know, as a teacher, we try everything. And some things will work really good one year for some students. And they fail miserably the next year or with other students. And special education is all about individualization. Um, I find the apps to be very overwhelming because it changes so quickly. 
-hmm. like the article I sent for you to share with your students. I, I have no idea how many of those things are still in existence. But I did talk about other ways to use things like words and notes and pages and PowerPoint and I, you know, iMovie. Um, I find that kids are so proficient at it. When I was at that school, they were composing music on their iPads, but they were using an app for that. But I find just using um, some of the online things like Zenings, which is an online platform for audience participation, kids like that stuff. Um, iBooks, if you can get books, you know, or just the screen reader function on an iPad, letting kids listen to the text, that's already there. There's a lot of accessibility in there that's very cool. Um, calendar. Really helpful. Um, we had kids using PowerPoints at one school. Kids that were nonverbal were using them in a home at class to make pictures of the recipes and do the recipe cards. They also, um, it was a Jewish school out here and the kids meet Holocaust survivors every year. And then they do these um, presentations for the community. And there were two kids with autism who had never been able to do a presentation because they're nonverbal. And they had their PowerPoint and they had speech generation on there and they stood up there and they gave their whole presentations for the first time. It was so cool. That must I sat there and cried like a big baby. I was going to say, cry. <laughs> so are you finding, you know, in your research and expertise that one, because of the increased engagement that you're seeing a decrease in disruptive behavior, increase in academic motivation? So I want to say that so badly. <laughs> uh, I think that those things are really difficult to measure. When I started doing the research, the thing I found out was that I was measuring apps. Mm -hmm. okay. You know, you end up doing research on specific apps. It's hard to do research that's rigorous and valid just on using an iPad. Because what if what I was doing is different than what the person next to me was using? It's really hard to control all those variables. Um, Kathy Draper Rodriguez and I did a meta-analysis of mobile tech and special ed and how it helped. And the most interesting thing was... I don't know. You guys probably remember when the mobile technology first came out, I got interested because I was reading all these stories online from parents who had nonverbal children with autism. And all of a sudden, these kids were able to communicate with these devices. And it was like life changing. And I was like, oh, I got to get right on this. But what we found in the meta-analysis was there was less of um, a change for those kids. There was less effectiveness for as a speech device than any other thing. But it was affected. It was effective for a lot of other things. Hang on, I'm just pulling up the article because, for those of you that don't realize, it's 7 a.m. here. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you coming so early to join us. Yeah, and just right. for context, uh, it is Thursday at 1:20 here, and it would be. Is it? I'm trying to get this right. It would be Friday at 7 a.m. It is Friday. Saturday. Yes. Friday. Yes, it is. Okay. Yep, Friday. So they were using it. It was really good for helping kids improve following direction skills, mm -hmm. um, making requests, functional math skills, but that was through an app. Transitions through um, like picture schedules. And they used it with um, a lot for numeracy and literacy. And those came out with a higher effect size than the actual um, 
communication and social skills, which made me happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's there's a lot of apps out there for social skills instruction now. And over here, I don't know how big it is over there, but Class Dojo is just like the be all end all of classroom management here. It's and I only recently found out that there's a function where you can turn it on and parents can see what's going on in real time. I looked at my students the other day. I was like, I would never turn that on. How many parents do you want showing up in your classroom? (laughs) I mean, seriously, parents do need to know, but I don't know they need to know in real time. That's, you know, if it was me as a parent, I might be a little obsessive about it. Yeah, Yeah, true, true, true. It's kind of like daycare cam or, you know, doggy cam. I'd want to know what my dog was doing all day. Constantly, always checking it. So for student, uh, for our students, we are going to be posting this uh, research article as kind of a um, resource to mm-hmm. read before or after you listen to our podcast because it does have a lot of good. Um, you, you know, you did a really good job with uh, giving us some apps and some ideas, but you also talked about some of the native functionalities, um, which is really important to our students because mm-hmm. they have been each assigned an iPad, but we're limited in what apps we can put on there, so they're really. Ah with the native technology. So I'm excited to have them kind of read through that and uh, give a synopsis um, or at least try a few of these things. Mm -hmm. I think that's what I'm going to have my students do is just to maybe reflect by using one of these apps that you've specified. I think that'd be kind of a neat little assignment. I think so too. I I think too, just, just the camera functionality. You know, getting back to what I did for my dissertation, God, would have been so much easier today. Um, But for video modeling, there's so much evidence, you know, to back up video modeling. It's so much easier to do it now. Whether as a teacher, you're taking video of the child and editing out the inappropriate behavior or, you know, letting kids have a go at it. It's so interesting to me. Yeah, that's a lot of fun, too. Is there, are, are there any other native things that, you know, as our students are in the classroom right now that you would say you try this? If you, like, these are the top things that I want you to, to try or get the technologies to really mess around with. God, it so depends on the kids. But I think anything that's like electronic response cards. You know, I used to just do the thing where I'd go to Home Depot and get a sheet of whiteboard and have them cut it up into squares for me and give them dry erase markers. The good thing about this is they can't mark up your classroom anymore if it's on the iPad. (laughs) (laughs) I love that idea. And there's a lot of free ones that you could use. I mean, there's even free whiteboard where the kids just write with their fingers and can hold up their iPads. I think there's a lot of power in that because there's so many kids that don't want to, you know, don't want to respond or they don't feel comfortable. And Opportunities to respond is like one of the biggest evidence-based practices to manage behavior. Mm-hmm. And I really think that would get them engaged like immediately. Are there any apps that be that, you know, that you just like, okay, you know, apps are changing and there are a lot of apps, but these are the ones that like, you know, I know are really good. Oh, there's a couple out there for data collection that are really good and easy if you're a teacher, if you've got your phone in your hand. Um, but they're not free. You know, you really do get what you pay for with apps and you've got to be really careful. There, there's some websites that do good reviews of the apps because I remember when I started, you can spend hundreds of dollars on one or $2 apps. 
Never mind the really expensive ones. Um, I'm just looking to see what the name of the one that I really liked was. Um, Behavior Tracker Pro. Ooh, okay. I believe that might have been over $100, but, uh, you know, if you can get your school to purchase it for you, you'll write a grant or something. Right. Yeah. That one was really good because it actually, like, took the data and put it into a plan. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. But for the students themselves, I don't have a favorite, you know. Like Class Dojo, everyone seems to love that. I've done no research on it. So me just saying everyone's using it doesn't say it's very effective. Yeah. I just like the idea that it's making people actually have a plan in their classroom where they're reinforcing students and they're aware of how much they're reinforcing them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the things that I'm really interested in, uh, especially because I'm more like the mod severe population and I am always interested in how we generalize skills. But I think the same can be looked at for students with emotional behavior disorders as well. So generalizing um, their behavior management, their self-regulation, their self-actualization, supporting that not only in the classroom, but in the larger community and over a span of time as they progress into adulthood. What are your thoughts on using mobile technology post-school um, for our students with EBD or people with EBD? Well, there are some cognitive behavioral apps that are kind of cool where, you know, they make you think about stuff and take you through a whole tree of things, I guess, for decision making or whatever. Um, there's also, you know, I don't have EBD, but ADHD, where would I be without that calendar and that task list on my Apple, every device that I own? I've always made lists, but then I lose them because yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of paper that I've shoved in a pocket or stuck on the fridge. So this way, my list is literally always with me. I think that's a godsend. Because if you think about the fact that frustration often brings on anger, outburst, confusion, all of the things that many people with EBD experience, I think being able to organize electronically is huge. I also think being able to have music all the time. You know, for some people, that's, that's a reinforcer. It calms them down. Exactly. You need your music. Yeah. Um, there's so many things. But I think that we, I think the generalization probably happens quicker because we're on these devices so much. I think the um, metacognition about what helps you comes more naturally because you just find it. There's so many options out there. And even just being able to talk to somebody via Skype you know, for that support when you need it or via Snapchat or messaging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you feel that um, even for this, this, not even that the social skills building, but just the, the social network of using, you know, the technology, do you feel like for, you know, a lot of kids, they feel so, um, you know, just in generally, just in general, kids with disabilities, you know, so pushed out away from, you know, the norm of the school or the norm of society where this enables them to have a form of connection to others with a disability or society in general? Have you seen? Oh, I, I think so for sure. I mean, if you look through Facebook, there's so many little groups that people set up. And um, there's, <laughs> I just finished a study and I'm just coding the data now and it's adults with autism who um, went through ABA uh -huh. and they are angry. They are super angry. There are whole Facebook pages dedicated to the fact that ABA is an instrument of torture. 
interesting in this study, I didn't limit it to people with autism, although they're the ones who mostly responded because they're very angry, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of people with EBD responded and said that ABA saved them. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. So I, it was a very small pilot study. I would really like to expand it, but it's way easier to find people with autism as adults than people with EBD. Who's volunteering for that? You know, because EBD isn't a category once you're grown up. Yeah, mm-hmm. true, true. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, I think on that note, we're going to thank Terry. And yeah. I think this was so much good information that we can share with our students and any teachers that are listening and, you know, thinking about the academic skill learning, the behavioral skill learning, the just feeling of being part of something and the dispositional change that I think teachers and students can have and just the native parts of technology and some fantastic apps. I think so much amazing information and we, we, this is, this is why we knew we needed to talk to you. Yeah. And I appreciate learning from you so much. So before we let you go, um, do you have one piece of advice for our pre-service teachers using technology with with any population of students? I do, actually. Um, Remember, the technology itself doesn't have a really strong evidence base just yet. The mobile tech technology in general kind of does. But um, pair it with something that's already evidence-based so that you know what you're doing is going to have a better chance of working. Number one, number two, it's all about that individualization. Just keep trying. If one thing doesn't work, find something else. Uh Because like I said, it won't work for everybody. And just on a parting note for me, I really can't wait to hear from you guys what your students did with this assessment that you're going to give them. Oh, yeah. yeah. This assignment. Yeah, we'll send you, they normally respond back with their own like podcasts or videos. Uh We we make them use an assistive technology to respond back or we encourage that use. Um, So we'll have to send you some of their uh, responses because they're a lot of fun. Yeah. Or I could just drag you over to Cindy and you can tell me in person. Well, hey, I'll be there. I'm coming in some baggage. Yeah, we're gonna get a little back in there. Secretly, you don't know this yet, but I'm gonna be contacting you in a few years when I apply for sabbatical. So, yeah, that would be so cool. We could do so many fun things. Ah, I'm looking forward to it. So, on that note, I think we're gonna sign off and. We have so many more things we could talk about, but I think that's a good place to leave it for now. And then maybe when we bring up this topic again in future semesters, we're going to expand. Cool. I'm here whenever you need me. Thank you so much, Terry. It's always so good to talk to you. So fun to talk to you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.